John chapter 8. Just a way of reminder, since it's been a, a couple weeks, Jesus has been in this dialogue, um, particularly with the Jews. And in this dialogue, he has been going back and forth with them about who he is and his word and the truth. And he claimed that his truth, that truth will set you free. He said that to them. But the problem was, they were slaves to sin and they could not bear to hear his word. And they kept claiming that Abraham was their father, were from the right lineage. And Jesus said, the devil's your father because you do not have faith. You are not of God. And that takes us to our passage today, starting in verse 48. You can follow along with me as I read. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, you will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's work through this verse by verse and see what God may have for us this morning. Verse 48, the Jews answered him. Again, showing us the dialogue of who he's talking to again, these, these Jews. Now, this doesn't, again, mean all Jewish people, but it's the Jews. It's the group, probably the leaders, possibly Pharisees, Sadducees. It's these leaders who are fighting against Jesus. That's that catch-all phrase that John's been using for those who don't believe. The Jews. They answered him. Because he had just said, the reason you don't hear me is you are not of God. So here's their response. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? 
what has just happened is they were actually having a more theological debate before this. They were talking about Abraham and who follows Abraham and whether or not they're true children of Abraham, and they didn't win that debate. So here's what they do, and you see this all the time, and you've had this. When somebody is wrong and they can't prove they're right, they then make it personal. They have now resorted to name-calling. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Oh, well, you're a Samaritan, and you have a demon. That's your argument? That's your argument back in this situation. You're that upset that you're just going to start name-calling Jesus. The Samaritan, we dealt with that. We saw the Samaritan people, if you remember, they were kind of the, the half-breed, kind of looked down upon, and the, the Jews and the Samaritans always had these issues, and it was a, where's the right place of worship? And there was definitely this, this tension in their relationship. And so in one sense, I think that they're trying to tell Jesus, aren't you a Samaritan? You're not really a Jew. You're not Jewish like we are. You're not really from Abraham like we are. The truth of the matter is, he is more of Israel than they are of Israel. He is true Israel. The true promised seed from Abraham. And... You have the demon, right? Jesus told them, your father is the devil a little bit before that. Well, no, uh you have a demon. Or, yeah, that's their argument. Personal attack. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. What's interesting is, as we've seen throughout this time, Jesus' main focus is to bring glory to the Father. Jesus' focus is to honor the Father, to obey everything that God has given Him to do, because that's how He shows His love and unity with the Father, is how He obeys everything that the Father's given Him to do. And if you remember, it also said in John that everything that Jesus did was pleasing to God. I'm honoring my Father. So if that's true, if Jesus is honoring God, if it's true that Jesus is speaking truth, that He's from the Father, then they should be honoring Jesus. And He's saying, you don't honor Me. I give honor to My Father, but you dishonor Me. Verse 50, Yet I do not seek My own glory, There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So what we're seeing here is actually, the Father is actually seeking to glorify Christ. Jesus says, I don't have to worry about trying to glorify myself. I'm just going to remain obedient to God, and I'm just going to glorify my Father in heaven, and he will take care of that. The Father is seeking to glorify the Son. And the way that he ultimately does it is at the cross in the empty tomb. When Christ is exalted, when He's resurrected, then He goes to be at the right hand of the Father and everything is passed to Him, including judgment. That is where Christ is in His glory and He's coming again in His glory. Jesus says, I don't have to seek my own glory. By the fact that I glorify my Father and I honor Him, He'll take care of that. Brothers and sisters, there may be something in this for us. Notice what happens here. He says, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
Do you notice that Jesus changes the conversation right there? Jesus isn't going to spend time defending himself. Jesus isn't going to spend time trying to make sure that his, his reputation is good. Jesus is going to be focused on what he came to do. Do you know what his mission was? Got a few verses for you. Listen to this. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 1 Timothy 1.15, The saying is trustworthy in deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul said that. Luke 4.43, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. What Jesus is saying is, my reputation isn't what I'm all about right now. I'm not going to try to be up here to defend myself to you. I'm going to switch the conversation to proclaim the gospel to you, because that's what's important. That's why I was sent, he says. How much time do we spend trying to save our reputation? How much time do we, set, do we spend trying to defend ourselves against what other people say or other people think when really, guess what? You can't control that anyway. And you don't need to worry about it. Here's what matters. What your Father in heaven thinks of you. And if you are in Christ, guess what? Here's what He thinks of you. That you are beautiful that you are loved, that you are redeemed, that he would send his son to come and die for you. He sings over you. He rejoices in you. He set his affections on you. Scripture says before the foundations of the world. What does that exactly mean? I don't know exactly, but it's pretty incredible. He loves you. You don't need to defend yourself. You need to save your reputation. Glorify God. Glorify God and preach the gospel. He'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. Jesus says, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to move on. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a comment. The second part is encouraging. You will never see death. Now that doesn't mean you don't die physically. He's talking about spiritually. We're going to see that our friends, the Jews, don't get it again. How many times have we seen over and over throughout the weeks, throughout the months, where Jesus is having this conversation, He's talking about spiritual stuff, and people are focused on physical. Brothers and sisters, we do this all the time. We are so focused on the physical. And God is saying, I want your attention. I want you to focus on the spiritual. My word, he will never see death. But what is it about his word? If anyone keeps Jesus' word. We've talked a little bit about the word and the truth and abiding in those things in the past. We're going to touch on this in a few verses from now. But keep that in mind. Keeping his word. Keeping his word is associated to not seeing death. We'll get to it in a second. Verse 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. <laughs> right? He's just making this great announcement, and they go, Yeah, you've proved it. You've got a demon. Abraham died. As did the prophets. Yet you say, 
If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Different word there, taste and see. Again, it's just that idea of experiencing death. So now they come to him and they're saying, oh man, you're crazy. This guy is crazy. Look at this. They're thinking in the physical again. They want to bring up Abraham. That didn't go well last time they brought up Abraham a few verses before. Let's see how it goes this time for them. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Brothers and sisters, those of you who have been going through the book of John with us, what's the answer to that question? Is he greater than Abraham? Clearly. Even in his conversations, he's been saying that. And they don't get it. Are you, are you saying you're greater than Abraham? Yeah? You asked me a little while ago, who, who are you? They wanted to, who are you? He's answered. He said so many times. If some of you remember, we went through a list of all that he's claimed to be up to this point. It's incredible. Of course he's greater than Abraham. But they can't see it. They're blinded with their own Pride. Who do you make yourself out to be? They're asking him plainly again. Who do you think you are? Who are you claiming to be? (laughs) The irony, too, is Abraham and the prophets themselves testify of who Christ is. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. This goes back to a little bit of what we were saying before. Jesus is saying, I, if I go around trying to seek my own glory, that's going to do nothing. But my Father, when he glorifies me, that's what means something. And then he says that little phrase on the end there. My Father who is glorifying me, you say he's your God. If that were true, what would they be doing? They would be glorifying Jesus as well. He's saying, he's not your God, which he's already said (laughs) to them. He is not your God because you do not glorify me. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if um, how we're doing with glorifying Jesus with our words and our actions, with our lives, if we're a people who say that we follow God and we glorify Him, it's directly linked to whether or not we are glorifying Christ. How do we glorify Christ? Well, preaching the gospel and apparently keeping His word. Keeping His word. We need to have a conversation about keeping His word. This is so important. If you do not want to see death. If you do not want to taste death, and I don't mean physical death, I mean spiritual death, you have to keep His Word. But it begs the question, what in the world does it mean to keep His Word? Right? If this means whether or not you're a Christian, because that's ultimately what He's saying here. If you do not keep His Word, you do not have life. You have death, which means you are not a follower of Jesus. You have to know what it means to keep His Word. And so... What should be going through your minds right now? What does it mean to keep his word?
There's two errors that I want to talk about that I think sink into our lives. You guys here, man, you guys are equally balanced today. That's good. You're going to be the antinomians. You can pay a quarter for that word. I'll explain it in a minute. You're the legalists. You're the legalists. Antinomians. What that means, anti, what's anti mean? Against. Nomian coming from the Greek law. You're against the law over here. Okay? Against the law. Some of you inside are like, no, I'm not. I love the law. No. You're against the law today. Okay? You, you're legalists. You love the law in the wrong way. So here's what we have. These two groups are not actually opposites of one another. They're actually opposites of the gospel. They're the opposites of grace. Some people come to the Christian faith in the legalism camp and they believed a gospel which wasn't really the gospel at all. It was preached to them like this. You need to do some works plus Jesus and then you're going to get saved. So Jesus is good, but there's seven sacred sacraments that you have to do as well if you want to be saved. Jesus is good, but you have to do these other things. You have to pray a prayer to be saved. What we actually can do sometimes when we do that with people is we can think that a prayer saves you. A prayer does not save you. Jesus saves you. It's through that prayer that you express faith in him. The problem is, if we're not careful, sometimes we think that we have saved ourselves. We have added to the work of Jesus by obeying some command, some law. Maybe that's, I come to church a lot. I was raised in a Christian home. Whatever it may be, it's adding the legalists, you guys, add to the work of Christ. Okay? That's how some people have become Christians. And what I would tell you, they're not Christians because they've added to the work of Christ. Now you guys, (laughs) you're against the law. Here's the gospel you hear. Just believe in Jesus. And that's it. Does he ever say that? Just believe. Confess with your mouth Jesus is what? Lord. Lord. Do we know what Lord means? Master. Right? What does he say? Repent. Right? Believe is there. You have to believe. But what else do you have to do? You need to repent. There are some who have come to faith under this mindset of, basically, I believe in Jesus and there is no life change whatsoever. You have not repented and you are not following Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell us, hey, go and make converts of all nations. He tells us to make what? Disciples. Disciples. You know what a disciple is? Someone who follows. Someone who looks like that person. We have people all over this town, state, country, world who think that they are following Jesus because they, at one point, believed in him. And there's nothing in their lives that shows it. That's when it comes into, as far as becoming a Christian, I think those two errors exist. But most of you in here, I think, are followers of Jesus. Maybe not all of you. So what does it do for us after we're Christians? Can we sneak and fall into these two areas? We absolutely can. So what does that look like for the legalists? Here's what it looks like over here. You know that you were saved by grace. You didn't add anything to it. I'm saved by grace alone. Praise God. But whether or not God loves me, whether or not God approves of me, is contingent on how hard I work. 
I got to be at every Bible study. If I don't read my Bible, he doesn't love me as much. I have to work and work and work for his love. That's legalism. You don't work and work and work for his love. You already have his love. You work because you have his love. That's you legalists. You guys over here, the crazy bunch. You're against the law. So here's what it is for you. I repented of my sin one time. And now I am free to do what I want in Christ. I am free. The law that's in Scripture is no longer for me. Is that true? There was a very popular pastor a few years ago that preached a sermon. And in the the point of his sermon, the thrust as he was winding down, he said this, God broke the law for love. God broke his own law for love. And what he was saying is, that's why the law is bad, and we as Christians, we're free from the law. Is there some truth there? Some, but it's not actually fully right. God fulfilled the law for love. Christ came and perfectly obeyed the law because we can't. He obeyed it perfectly. He even said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. So what's interesting on this side over here is we profess Christ, and I repented once, but I don't repent of sin any longer. Whereas the Christian life is actually a battle all the time of repenting of sin. The law is actually good and perfect, and it's a gift. Why? Because you're not trying to earn your righteousness through the law, but the law shows you why you need the cross. The law shows you the Holy Spirit. He uses the law. He uses God's word, and he shows us who we are. Say, I don't want to be that. And God says, I don't want you to be that. So we take the word, and we put it into our hearts, and we ask the Spirit of God to to battle that and change us, not from the outside in, not so I look better, so I'm trying to do these things outside on my own strength. That's not the point. The point is to take to the Word of God and keep it deep inside. And when you're confronted with the Word of God and you see who you are, it's this mirror and it shows you who you are and you say, God, change me. You're not going to be able to change yourselves. But you need to allow God to change you by the power of His Spirit with His Word. You have to confess sin, repent of sin, and say, God, I know I'm not yet who I'm supposed to be, I'm thankful for that I'm not what I was. By God's grace, I am what I am, but I'm not going to stay there. These people on this side, here's what they're saying. The, those against the law, I'm saved by grace and I'm just going to stay the way I am. And the legalists on this side are saying, I'm saved by grace, but that's not good enough. I've got to keep working or Jesus will not love me. And both are wrong. They're both opposed to the gospel. A few things, a few quotes I want to read to you. They're both enemies to the gospel. Those against the law, this is a conviction less Christianity, meaning there's no conviction that comes there. 
It sees repentance as this single event not to be repeated. You walk the aisle and then you just wait for heaven. Sermons are no longer to expose our sin, allowing us to admit our faults and then confess them freely. The Christian life is more about ignoring sin and resting in a foggy concept of grace. The Puritan said this, but the gospel, largely speaking, includes a summons to keep the law of God. Not, listen, listen, not for the right to eternal life. We can't do that, but listen. But from the right of eternal life. From the right of eternal life. That's what the law is there for. Not so that we can obey it to get eternal life. The law is there so we can have grace to be from the law to eternal life. From the right to it. It calls justified believers to keep Christ's commands. Listen, it calls justified, we've talked about that, being right before God. It calls justified believers to keep Christ's commands out of gratitude, love, and joy in Him. Last one I have for you. There is only one genuine cure for legalism. And it's the same medicine the gospel prescribes for those against the law. Understanding and tasting union with Jesus Christ himself. This leads to a new love for the obedience to the law of God, which he now mediates to us in the gospel. This alone breaks the bonds of both legalism, the law is no longer divorced from the person of Christ, and antinomianism, or against the law, where we are not divorced from the law, which now comes to us from the hand of Christ and in the empowerment of the Spirit who writes it on our hearts. Without this, both legalists and antinomians, both those who are without the law, against the law, remain wrongly related to God's law and inadequately related to God's grace. You cannot understand God's grace if you're in those two camps. And it is the grace of God that we need each day. We need to understand the grace of God to enjoy God. You ever had that where you don't really enjoy God? Just, uh, it's more of a duty. One that brings you no pleasure. The marriage of this, the marriage of duty with delight in Christ comes from a right understanding of grace. So when Jesus says, anyone who keeps my word will never taste death, here's what he's saying. We are to keep his word. We're not to just get rid of the law and all the things that we see in the scriptures. But we need to realize that we're not saved by them. But because we're saved, because we have the love of Christ, we want to obey them. He changes that in us. You can say, I don't have that. I don't know how to get that. One, you may have come to faith under one of these wrong categories. And maybe you're not, you haven't come to faith yet, really. Or if you have, you may be veering off into one of these two categories, and we need to work together to make sure that you're staying in the center on grace. And then you can truly enjoy God. Let's finish up our passage. But you have not known him. I know him. Verse, we're in verse 55. And if I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> Jesus, that's not very politically correct. He's called them liars. 
He said, I know him. If I were to say I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you are. But I do know him. And what does Jesus do? I keep his word. So don't think for a second it's bad to try to keep God's word. In fact, it's a good thing to keep God's word. Just realize that you're not going to add to your salvation with that. You're not going to add anything to your salvation. But it is a result that you have salvation, that you keep his word. Verse 56, your father, interesting Jesus says that, your father, Abraham, not our father. Your father, Abraham, if you want to bring him up like that, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Two things there. Abraham's rejoicing that he would see the day of Jesus, and then he saw it and was glad. A lot of different interpretations on this, but I do think that what was revealed to Abraham, you could say, well, he's in paradise and he's watching everything now. Okay. But I think more what this talking is talking about is the faithfulness and the promises of God that were to become true in Christ. He was anticipating the coming of his son and from his son would be another son and from his son, from his seed, would be the ultimate one who would come. He was anticipating that. And as God was faithful to his promises, Abraham was rejoicing because he saw God was doing what he said he would do. Brothers and sisters, you need to rejoice that God does what he says he will do. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? They don't get it. What's interesting is he's talking about Abraham seeing his day, and they flip it around and they're saying, you've seen Abraham? So he says, okay, you want to go down that road? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Did you hear the verses that were read at the beginning? Are you familiar with that? God interacting, burning bush, Moses. What do I do? What am I supposed to say? You tell them, I am has sent you. Also, in the Isaiah passage, it was over and over again, this language of I am. What Jesus just said, that name, the precious and holy name of God, that even the Jewish people would not speak because they thought it was so holy. Jesus just said, I am. Some people will tell you, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. And how do we know? Look at the next verse. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Leviticus 24. He just blasphemed. And we're going to stone you for it. You just claim to be God and we're going to kill you. What's incredible is they're trying to kill the one who is God. But Jesus hid himself, which, again, we don't know what that looked like. Possibly was a miracle in that moment and went out of the temple. Do you know why they didn't get him at that moment? Not at the time yet. I want to end with this. The last phrase there, it's actually very small, but I don't want to miss it. Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple. God himself went out of the temple. The glory of God that should be at this time in the temple. That's the place he should be, teaching his people, and his people would not accept him. And so he leaves the temple. The glory of God leaves the temple. Brothers and sisters, my last encouragement to you today.
Don't let Jesus leave where He's supposed to be. He's supposed to be in our church. He's supposed to be in your home. He's supposed to be in your hearts. Don't be hardened against Him. Keep His Word. Don't think you need to add your work so that He'll love you. Don't think that there, does, there isn't anything that goes to following Him. Be in the middle of the Gospel and follow Him and let Him be where He's supposed to be. The center of everything we do. Let's pray together. Father, we do love You and thank You for this time. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You, Lord, that You do not require that we try to keep the law completely for salvation. Lord, in your infinite wisdom, you knew that we never could. So we're thankful that Jesus did. We're thankful for his perfect obedience, his virgin birth, his death on the cross in our place for our sins. And we're thankful that he defeated sin, Satan, and death when he rose from the grave. We're thankful that he's at your right hand and one day he's coming back for us. I pray for those who are in here today, Lord, who When they came to faith, it was this one-time thing, and they've never really followed you, Lord. I pray that they would really ask you, am I even saved? And I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Or, Lord, for those who feel like they came to faith, but it was under this legalistic, I'm going to do these things to please you, God. And they're realizing now that they don't understand your grace and the gospel. I pray they would come to faith. And for my brothers and sisters who we are following Christ, but Lord, sometimes we get going back and forth and we think we've got to do more for you to love us. And what's incredible is you loved us before we did anything. So why would we think for a second that we could do something that would add to your love or take away from it? And Lord, for my brothers and sisters who truly repented of sin and they are following, but Lord, they just feel like their lives don't need to match up. I'm free in Christ, they're thinking. Help them to see that they're free to follow. They're free to die to themselves and follow Jesus. Lord, help us to do these things. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.